All right, we're going to be in John chapter 6 today. John chapter 6, that's where we're going to start off at least, John chapter 6. Today I've entitled the message, Safe and Secure. Safe and Secure, John chapter 6, we're going to start in verse uh, 35. As you turn there, last week uh, we looked at uh, Jesus' warning uh, to the disciples, the crowd, and the religious leaders as he closes out the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus uh, reminded uh, those in attendance as well as um, us as well as it was recorded in God's word that there are really two paths that people are on. There's one path, uh, the way that takes the gate of life and the way that takes the gate of destruction. There's two paths that people are on, the way that leads to life and the way that leads to destruction. Now, you may have been here last week and you thought to yourself, I am so thankful that I am on the way to life. And that's great. That's great that we have such confidence to know I am on the way to life. And when you think of where that leads, there is a lot to look forward to. But there may have been some people here last week that said this, I hope I'm on the way to life. I hope. I'm on the way to life. And today we're going to explore the theme of gospel assurance. And really, as I kind of set off to, to, to do this message, I thought really I was going to do one message. And, and the more I began to dig in, the more I realized that we're going to have to split this up into two messages, uh, maybe even three messages. Uh, but we're really going to scratch the surface today. And so our focus today is going to be uh, the object of saving faith because really the object of our faith determines whether we're safe and secure in the lord and so what we do we we do want to talk about gospel assurance because i believe that we do have gospel assurance those of us who are in christ today we are safe and secure in him and so let's look at john chapter 6 starting in verse 5 uh, 35 sorry and I'll have you speak, uh, speak. <laughs> I'm going to have you stand out of respect for God's word, and I am going to speak uh, the word of God. This is John chapter 6, starting in verse 35, and it says this, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father has given to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Let's go ahead and stop there and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for the word of God. We think about uh, gospel assurance, the fact that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we are safe and secure in Christ. That as we talked about last week, Lord, that there are uh, two paths that people are on, one that leads to life and one that leads to destruction. But for those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, we can know that we will have eternal life. But Lord, I, I also imagine that as the word of God is preached, that maybe there are people here that struggle with knowing whether or not they're on the road that leads to life. 
and maybe even in their heart because of things that have happened in their life, maybe there is a concern that they may be on the way that leads to destruction instead of the way that leads to life. And so, Lord, today as we open up this topic of gospel assurance, I pray that you would encourage our heart if, if truly we are in you, if we have truly put our faith and trust in the work of the cross, that we would stand secure in that promise, in that truth, and that we would rest in that alone. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would meet with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There are countless Christians uh, that have sat right where you are that one time or another has doubted their salvation. All right, so, so if you're here today and, and either you are doubting your salvation or you would say there's been a time in my past where I've doubted my salvation, I want you to know that you are not alone. There are people in the past that have doubted whether or not they are truly part of God's family, whether or not they truly put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's countless people that have asked Jesus Christ to be their Savior over and over and over again because there's some days in which they feel like, I truly am a Christian, and then there's some days that, that feels like, I'm not a Christian, and so they go through the motions again, and they ask Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. There's some days that they feel like they're on the path that leads to life, and there's some days that feel, they feel like they're on the path that leads to destruction. Of course, if you're here today and you are an unbeliever, if, if you truly do, don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you should be concerned. Because what we talked about last week is a very serious matter that really all mankind is on one of two paths, one that leads to life and one that leads to destruction. And if you're not on the path that leads to life, that means that you are on the path that leads to destruction and that you should be concerned about that. Yet there are some people who think that they have faith, that they are believers, and yet they are not. It is like someone who imagines that they have lots and lots of money in the bank. And they're able to write checks left and right. But as those checks begin to be cashed, they bounce. And they find out very quickly that they don't have as much as they thought they did. Instead, their accounts are zero. And so today, as we come across this topic of gospel assurance, there are some of us that have God's riches in our, in our bank accounts, and we know it. And there are some of us who are concerned about whether or not we have God's riches in our bank account. And then there are some of us that know for sure we don't have any of God's riches in our bank account. And then there's a fourth group of us that think that we have riches in, in our bank account, but really when we go to check our deposit, we find out that there's not, or a balance, there's absolutely nothing there. So that's what we want to look at today, is these four groups. 
And so in our passage today, we have in John chapter 6 here, we have a group of individuals who uh, have been fed. Earlier in chapter 6, we see the feeding of the 5,000. And so people have been fed. They, they ate as much as they wanted. Their stomach was full. They were happy. And they wanted all of this to happen again. And so the next day, they go back, and they, they go to find Jesus, and they're looking forward to this, this free meal. And Jesus already knows, because he knows their heart, he knows what they're thinking, and he knows that they are not there for, the, uh, not there for him, but instead they're there for the food. And this is why he says this a little bit earlier from our reading uh, than, our, than our passage that we read. And so look down in your Bible. This is John chapter 6, verse 26. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, what was the problem with these people? Well, these people were there for their daily needs. But Christ was not there to fulfill their daily needs. Christ is really there to fulfill their future needs. And so Christ did the feeding of the 5,000 5, 5, to meet their daily needs and to show them a miracle which pointed to the fact that he truly was the Messiah, but they missed that point. So he goes on to say this in verse 40. Look down in your Bible in verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. And so when we place our faith and trust, when we believe in Jesus Christ, in the work of the cross and his resurrection, we will be raised up on that last day. But today, I also want to look at another passage, which is a very startling passage for those of us who are Christians. And so turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. This also happens on that last day. And in Matthew chapter 7, we see one of the most startling truths that Jesus speaks about those who say, Lord, Lord, who believe that they truly are born-again Christians, but are not. And so notice there in, in Matthew 7, verse 21, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, as I read that this morning, that is a startling truth that Jesus taught. That in the last day, in the final day, there will be some that say, Lord, Lord, but that Christ does not know, that never truly had a relationship with the Lord. Because the very first thing I want to point out is their words here. Notice in verse 21, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. Now, when you see a name of, of an individual 
uh, repeated. That is um, an expression in the Hebrew that has the idea of intimacy, a strong relationship. And so this person is not saying that, that, you know, there was one time in my life that I did this. Instead, by using the name Lord, Lord, they are declaring that I have an intimate relationship with you. And so let me give you a couple of examples of how this is used in the Bible. Notice here in Genesis 22, 11, this is when uh, the, the, uh, God tells uh, Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, and just prior to sacrificing his son, God says this. This is Genesis 22:11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. That is really a, 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 an expression of intimacy that, that God has a relationship with Abraham. We also see this in 1 Samuel 3:10. All right, in 1 Samuel 3.10, we see Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Again, God's about to do some great things with Samuel. And so he calls out Samuel, not Samuel once, but Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. We also see this in Luke. We see this in the New Testament in Luke 22.31. Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demands to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Of course, we know Christ had an intimate relationship with Peter. And so Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. And probably the, one of the most well-known repeatings of a name is found in Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so whenever there is a name repeated twice, it is given the idea of intimacy, a close relationship. So it's not simply a, a, like, a, a, like a friend on Facebook. We're talking about a, a good friend. And so that is a startling fact that here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. There will be people that think that they have a very strong relationship with the Lord. That Christ will say, I never knew you. And so notice again those words, not everyone. Not everyone who thinks that they have this strong relationship with the Lord truly does have a strong relationship with the Lord. And therefore, his reply at the end of that will be this, I never knew you. The idea is this, you think you knew me, but you never knew me, and I don't know you either. And of course, we're not talking about the fact that Jesus doesn't know the individual or their name. He does know those things. The idea is that he never had a relationship with that individual. And that should really be a startling fact for us as Christians. But there is confidence in the gospel. And one of the reasons why I, I talk about this today, and I'm kind of getting off my notes a little bit here, is because really there is this misconception of gospel assurance, of salvation assurance. 
in some groups, they say it is not possible for you to ever have gospel assurance. One day when you die, you'll know whether or not you're saved. And so there are some people that walk through life hoping, I hope, I hope, I hope. And so some people, that's, that's how they live. I hope that I have gospel assurance. But I think that in the Bible, or I should say, I believe that the Bible teaches that we are, in fact, saved and secure in Christ. And so we're going to talk about the object of faith today. We're going to talk about the four groups that we find people in. And we're going to talk, we're in, the, in the next couple of lessons, we'll talk about why we can have that confidence. But really today, we're just kind of scratching the surface. But I just want to note this. This is what the Word of God says. All right. This comes from 1 John 5.13. And it says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. All right, who would that be? That would be Jesus Christ. And then notice that you may know that you have eternal life. And so as John wrote 1 John, he wrote it in such a fashion that there could be no doubt that, that as we live in this life, we could know that we are walking down the road, that we are going down the narrow road that leads to life and not the broad road that leads to destruction. John says it is possible for us to Christians, for us Christians to know that we have eternal life. And I believe that is true. That it doesn't have to be our hope as far as, well, I just don't know. I hope it comes true. But instead, we can be confident in the fact. And so we'll look at why that is. But today we want to explore some of the confusion that surrounds gospel insurance because people are split up into four groups, or we could split people up into four groups. And maybe even as I look out today, maybe there's people in these four groups today. The first group that we want to look at are those who are saved and they know it. They're in group number one, people who are believers and they know it. All right, some Christians, they are confident that they are born-again Christians, that they understood when, when, the, when the gospel message was, was proclaimed to them, they understood it, and, and they, they grabbed onto it, and they believed it. And, and for them, they have a confidence. They know for sure that, that when they die, they'll, they'll be with the Lord. If asked, are you sure you're saved? Their reply would be this, absolutely. And maybe that's, your, maybe that's you here today. People who are believers and they know it. If I was to ask you the question, are you sure you're saved? You would reply, absolutely. And you could even give me a reason why, a biblical reason why. You would have that same testimony that, that Paul had. And Paul says this in 2 Timothy 1.12, For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day. And maybe that's your testimony. You're in group number one, people who are believers and know it. You have just a certain amount of confidence that you know, hey, you know what? This life is short. One day I'm going to die but I know, I am absolutely sure I'm going to be with the Lord. And yet the same testimony as, as Paul here, I, I know whom I've ha I have believed, 
and I am convinced that he is able to guard me until that day. That's group number one. This is group number two. People who are believers but doubt at times. All right, people who are believers but doubt at times. And, and for these people, uh, the Christian life can be a struggle because really when we begin to doubt, we begin to think whether, whether or not we truly are Christians. And, and if we understand the Bible and we understand those two roads, that's a frightening place to be. And, and when I was a youth pastor, I remember talking to uh, teenagers and, and there were some teenagers that would like lay awake at night afraid that if they were to die in their sleep, that they they're not sure that they would be with God. And so that would actually keep them up at night. They didn't have that assurance. They believed. They were, I believe they were believers, but they doubted at times. And so people throughout time have been, I'm sorry, um, doubting your faith doesn't mean that you're not saved. Doubting our faith means that we have forgotten to trust God's promises. And, and we should know this, that doubt is not the opposite of faith. What would be the opposite of faith? Disbelief. And so if we said, I don't believe God, that would be the opposite of faith. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. And so we can still have faith and yet doubt that we're on our way to heaven. And, and, and many people have doubted their relationship uh, with the Lord. For some in this group, maybe the doubt might come in the fact that they just don't remember. Maybe they were young and, and they would say, you know what, I don't remember whether or not I, I did understand that I was a sinner. I don't remember what, what I prayed to the Lord. And so maybe... They doubt because they, they're just not sure. Matter of fact, there was one year that I was um, a uh, camp counselor at a, at a Christian camp, and, and there was this young man uh, that, that the Lord was really working on their hearts, his hearts. And so uh, he was like sticking really close to his, his counselor, like just all day. It just seemed like every time the counselor would turn, there would be that camper. And, and so the counselor uh, said, you know, is there something that you want to talk to me about? No, 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 it's okay, it's okay. And then I noticed that that very last night, there was a, an opportunity to talk to the counselor. And, and I noticed that camper stood up and he walked to the back and I was in the back as, as one of the counselors, and so I was looking for his counselor, and his counselor was gone. His counselor had already left with another camper. And so one of the other helpers took him and, and talked to him, and uh, I was curious to know what, what happened to that camper. And, and so I went and sought out that worker, and I said, so what happened? And, and the individual said, you know what, I tried to talk to him, but he would not tell me why he came back. Well, I, I, I knew the kid, and so uh, afterwards, it, we were having like some free time. It was a time the store was open, and people were uh, buying, buying candy and, and sodas and all of that. And I noticed this individual was sitting on a bench all by themselves. And so I sat down with them and I said, hey, I, I noticed that, that you went back tonight, and, and I talked to the individual, and, and they said you wouldn't talk to them. Would you be willing to talk to me? And he said, sure. So I said, so why did you come back tonight? 
And he said this, he said, well, I came back to give my life to the Lord. And I said, well, that is a great decision. But I said, let me ask you this. Because it's so important to giving your life to the Lord, do you know that you are saved and on your way to, to heaven? And this camper began to weep. He said, you know what? I've been struggling with this all week. As the word of God was preached, there was something in my heart that I did not have assurance. He, he said, I don't remember what I believed. I don't remember what I said. And you know what? It was that night that that young man got assurance of his salvation or he actually got saved for the first time. And if you were to talk to that young man now who is in serving in full-time ministry, he would say, it was that night that I know for sure. He moved from the camp of either I don't know or I'm saved, but I doubt. And now if you ask him today, if you said, are you sure that if you were to die, you'd be with the Lord? He would say, absolutely. He moved from one camp to another. And so maybe you're here today and you are a believer but you doubt at times. I just want to let you know that sometimes that happens. And if truly you look down into your heart and you don't think that you're a Christian, you should fix that, all right? Don't continue to live the Christian life hoping. Oh, well, I, I hope. I hope that if I die, I, I'm with the Lord. That's not gospel assurance. Gospel assurance, I believe, you can know. And that's all based upon that object of faith, which we will see a little bit later. All right, so uh, group number two, those who are believers but doubt at times. All right, group number three, people who are unbelievers and they know it. All right, I think there's more people like this than, than we know. All right, I think there's more people in the world that we rub shoulders with they know that they're lost. They know that they need help. They know they need a savior. And yet they're living their own life. They, they fill their lives with many things. They, they have this sense that, that I want to be loved and, and I want to love others. And, and they have that sense inside them, but they miss the fact that it is God's love that they're missing. And so I believe there are unbelievers who know it. And one of the reasons why I believe this is because of something that Paul says. All right, this is in Romans 1.18. Notice what Paul says here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteous have suppressed the truth. That there is a part of them that realizes this world is messed up. And there's a part of them that realizes we will one day give an account. And why do I believe that? Because so many people are afraid of death. Why be afraid of something that happens to everybody? Everything that lives one day dies. But so many people are so terrified of death. And why? I believe because there's a part of them that that knows that, you know what, one day I'm going to stand before my creator and will I be ready? And that's a terrifying 
thing to think about. One day I will stand before God, and will I be ready? And so I believe that there are some people in the world who are unbelievers, and they know it. Matter of fact, I was uh, sharing the gospel with a, with a gentleman one time, and, and uh, I, was, I was talking about the fact that Jesus Christ died for their sins, and this person realized they were a sinner. This person realized that they had messed up. This person realized that in their life they had done many wrong things. And this was their reply. They said this, I believe there's a God, but I don't believe he would ever forgive me for my sins. I don't believe he could ever forgive me for my sins. Because in his own perspective of his life, he looked at his life and said, if there truly is a God, and, and he believed there was a God, if there truly is a God, and he is a good God, he would never allow me into heaven. So this is that group of people who are unbelievers, and they know it. I think we run into more people like this than we know. And then we have group number four. People who are unbelievers, but they don't know it. Or we could say people who think that they are believers, but they are not. This is where gospel assurance comes in, because really my goal today is not to really give anyone assurance if they're truly not a Christian. But we do want to consider today why some people think that they are believers when they really aren't. And I, I do think that what we're about to cover today, and uh, there's, there's three things. This is not a complete list, okay? So uh, don't think these are the only three reasons why people uh, sometimes think that they're believers and they're not. It's not a complete list, just three major things. Uh, three major, th sorry, I lost my train of thought there. This is the reason why on that last day there will be people who say, Lord, Lord, that they think they have a relationship with God, but they truly don't. And the very first one, the very first error that we see in people's thinking is this belief that everyone will go to heaven. This belief is called universalism. All right, this is the idea that, you know what, it doesn't matter what religion you follow. It doesn't matter if you follow a religion at all, that we're all going to make it to God. So sometimes they, they give this illustration. Is there only one way to Disneyland? Now, Disneyland's not heaven, but only one way to Disneyland. They would say, no, there's many ways to Disneyland, and we're all on different paths. And they would say, but we're all going to make it to the same place. This is the idea of universalism. And this is what some people believe. They believe, you know what, it does not matter what I believe, because all of us will be with God. All of us will be with God. Matter of fact, even some people who claim that they are Christians believe in this. And so this is the idea, all right, this is the idea. God will accept everyone in heaven, and I am part of everyone, therefore I will be in heaven. Matter of fact, if you asked them this, if you were to die, and, and, uh, and uh, where would you go? And they would say, well, obviously, when I die, I go to heaven. 
All right, that's, that's the way of, of thinking. Matter of fact, we, sometimes we see that on the media, like when someone passes away and uh, we know their testimony and the life that they lived, and yet uh, they're on the news or as friends in the media speak about them, and they say, well, that person's in heaven. And you think to yourself, I don't think that they're in heaven. But they have this idea that, you know what, God welcomes everyone into heaven. And why would they say this? Well, they would say this because they believe that God is love. And we, too, would agree with that. I'm so thankful God is a God of love. But when we say that God is only love, we forget that God is holy and God is just. The fact that God is holy means that he cannot tolerate sin. The fact that he is just means that he cannot overlook sin. Justice has to do with facts. And this is the facts. We are sinners, and we deserve punishment. Justice deals with facts, not feelings. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus Christ came. Because God is a holy God. He cannot tolerate sin. And God is a just God. He cannot overlook sin. But God is a loving God. Therefore, he made a way through his justice for us to have a relationship with him. And so we see this in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world. Notice, this is the idea of the avenue that God took to save us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And, and there are some Christians that would say, See, everyone's going to go to heaven because Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. Therefore, we're all going to go to heaven. But to believe in universalism, we have to say we don't believe in some things that Jesus Christ said or that Jesus Christ was wrong in some of the things that he said. Notice the very next verse in John. So this is, three, uh, this is verse 17. But notice verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So is Jesus giving us the whole truth? I believe yes. But if we're here today and we think to ourselves that we're all going to go to heaven no matter what religion we follow, that actually goes against Bible teaching, because Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he went on to say, no one comes unto the Father except through me. He said, I am the gate, the door. There's only one way into heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. If, if we believe in universalism, then we have to believe that Jesus was wrong. And if we believe Jesus was wrong in these things, where else may he be wrong? And how can we trust anything that Jesus says? Either everything he said is true, or we cannot have assurance. We cannot have saving faith. And so universalism, I believe there are some people who believe that they have a relationship with the Lord because they believe that they're just on their way 
but they're not really on their way. Again, notice what Jesus says, and then I will declare uh, to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. All right, group number one, people who think that they're Christians and they're not, it's because maybe they believe that everyone is going to uh, go to heaven one day. It doesn't matter who you are or what religion you follow, or maybe you don't even follow a religion, and, but we're, we're all going to get to the same place. All right, this is a second group. Second, second group of people who believe that they're going to go to heaven, but really are not, not going to be in heaven. And this is the legalistic group, that group that is working for their salvation. And, and I think that there are some people even in our churches today that are still doing this. That they think to themselves, why would God give me all of these amazing things and not have me work for it? Isn't there something that I must do to have all of these riches? And so they begin to think, I must work to earn God's favor. And so if we were to ask these people, well, if you were to die, why should God allow you in heaven? Their response would be a list of things they have done, either for one another or maybe for their community or maybe even for God. And they would say, hey, you know what? There's all of these things I have done. And, you know, I have asked people this very question. Why should God allow you into heaven? And sometimes their response is to give me a list of good works. That's legalism, all right? We cannot earn favor with God, all right? God chose to love us. We cannot force God to love us through good works. God instead chose. Notice here what Paul says. This is Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free, God, the free gift of God's eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The wages here is, is, is what we earn, right? And so if we're thinking that somehow we can, we can work and, and we can do things for the Lord, and, then, and then, then we'll get a ticket into heaven and we'll be able to go. And, and I'm going to give the Disneyland uh, reference again. It's like buying tickets. It costs money. They're not handed out for free. And so that's how some people believe. Tickets to heaven are not handed out for free. Instead, we must work. But Paul says this, really what we're working for, our wages is actually building up more death. For the wages of sin is death. That end result, we're on that path that leads to destruction. But notice what we don't earn, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. A gift, a free gift, is not earned, all right? Instead, a free gift is accepted. And so we cannot earn our way to heaven. Instead, we accept that perfect offering. Matter of fact, here in Romans 4, 4, it says this, Now to the one who works, his wages are counted, uh, not counted as a gift, but as his due. And then notice what he says in the very next verse, in verse 5, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. All right? And so Paul is, is uh, confronting, uh, confronting us with this fact. If we are trying to work for salvation, 
it's no longer a gift. Instead, we're just trying to earn our way, and that is not the way to go. Instead, really, the way to go is to accept that free gift. And, and so some people, they look at salvation like this. Again, this is the wrong view, all right? So they, they look at this equation. Faith plus works equals salvation. And that's how some Christians, or some people who call themselves Christians, uh, look at salvation. Salvation is faith plus works equals salvation. I've, I've, I've heard it uh, talked about in this way, like climbing a ladder, right? Like climbing a ladder. What you do is you work in this life, and, and you climb a little higher and a little higher in this life, and you get a little closer to God and a little closer to God. And if you get high enough up on the ladder, then Jesus will reach down and pull you the rest of the way up. But what we need to realize is we can't even get off the ground. That working for our salvation is not the way to have a relationship with the Lord. And so there are some people that will say in that last day, Lord, Lord, we did all of these great things for you. And Jesus Christ will say, I never knew you. You worked for your salvation. But we do know that works comes into play. And so this would be the correct equation here. This is faith equals salvation plus works. And so if you solve this, salvation comes first, works comes second. All right? And this is something that is taught in the Word of God, that when we, by faith, accept Jesus Christ, our personal Savior, there is new spiritual life inside of us. That new spiritual life is changing us from the inside out. We can't help but serve God, because he's changing us. Matter of fact, that's what Paul says is very clear here in Ephesians 2. So in Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, okay? So salvation is not your own doing, okay? We're not earning our way. And then he goes on to say this in the very next verse, not a result of works so that no one can boast. Again, he makes this idea that we cannot work and earn our way to heaven. But then the very next verse says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Again, this is the idea of salvation for what? Good works. We have been saved to bring honor and glory to God. And so there are good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what? In those good works. So God has saved us for good works. But I have to stress this. Good works does not make us saved. Good works shows us we are saved. We cannot earn our way and so, first of all, this, this idea that people have is, you know what, all of us will go to heaven. That's the idea of universalism. They think, you know what, Lord, Lord, I have a relationship with you because it doesn't matter what I do, I will be with you. And he will say, no, I don't know you. There's a second group that they've just been working and working and working. They say, Lord, all of these things, I've done all of these things for you. And he'll say, I don't know you. And then there's a third group. This third group is 
people who are sincere in their beliefs. This group is called the religious group. This group has misplaced trust and faith. If someone were to ask them if you were to die, would, would God allow you into heaven? They would say, yes, because I've been baptized. Yes, because I go to church. Yes, because I believe in God. There are many religious people in the world who think that they're on the road that leads to life. But they're not on the road that leads to life. They're on the road that leads to destruction. It's good to believe in God, but that's not what gets us to heaven. All right, this is what the Bible says. This is James 2.19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So the demons are not saved just because they believe in God. Just because we believe in God doesn't make us Christians. It's all based upon our object of faith. And so sincerity won't get you into heaven. Well, you know, I've done all of these religious things. Sincerity will not get you into heaven. Only faith, and that is the object of faith. Because we could say, well, I have faith in the Easter Bunny. That won't get you into heaven. It's only through the work of the cross. And so this is what John says. This is John 1, 12, and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so it is God's saving power, not religion. All right, notice, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God is the one that saves. Pastors don't save. Churches don't save. We share the message of reconciliation, but it's really God who saves. And so if we're putting our faith in our religious, in, in religion or in our religious works, um, again, we're going to fall short. We're going to fall short. So again, there's four groups, right? And this is why there's some, some confusion about assurance. Group number one, I'm saved and I know it. I hope you're in that group. Number two, I'm saved, but I doubt. If you doubt, everybody doubts at one time or another, all right? Just know for sure that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Number three, I'm not saved, and I know it. If you're here today and you do believe you're going to stand before God, get off the path that leads to destruction. And number four, I think I'm saved, but I'm not. And it very well could be that in these four groups, we have someone represented here. Whether I'm saved and I know it, whether I'm saved and I doubt, whether I'm not saved and I know it, or whether I think I'm saved, but I'm really not. Just as, just as that, um, that object of faith is, is so critically important, uh, we should know that it's, it's not universalism. And, and it's not works-based, and it's not religion-based. 
Instead, really, it's relying on the word of God and his promises. Matter of fact, um, this is what Jesus says as, as he's uh, sharing the gospel. And, and uh, the question that came uh, was this, I realize that you're from God, and, and how can I go to God? And, and uh, Jesus' reply was this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And why do we need to be born again? Well, because we're dead spiritually without Christ. And when we become Christians, we become alive spiritually. And so we must be born again. And so a little bit later on, Jesus says this, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We must be, again, we must be born again. And that's why as John starts off his gospel, he says, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I think about um, where people are today and maybe even where you are today. And I just want to, if you're a Christian here and, and maybe there's been times that you've been uh, doubting, we are going to look at like uh, lots of different places in the next couple of weeks, either next week, maybe the next couple of weeks, um, of how we can know, because the, the, the gospel, uh, the word of God, I should say, shows us that we can have confidence in our position in Christ. But I just want to give you one of those today. And so this is from John chapter 10, starting in verse 27. And so uh, uh, you can feel free to turn there. I'm going to give you all the verses in their uh, complete entirety. Um, they'll be up on the wall here. You can listen and read along as I read. It says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now this is believers. And notice, I give them eternal life, and they will, notice the words of Christ, never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's the words of Jesus. Again, is he correct? I believe he is. When we have eternal life, we will, again, never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. But just in case you don't believe Jesus, he follows it up with this. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. All right? Greater than all. Again, that points to that God has no rival. He is completely sovereign. My Father has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Right? No one. Satan may try to talk us out of our salvation, but... He cannot take us from being saved to not being saved. And so Christ's words is this. You know what? If we're believers and we are part of his sheep, no one can take us out of his hand. And just in case you thought that might be possible, his father who has absolutely no rivals, and Jesus has no rivals as well, but he goes to the father and he says, and my father protects you as well. And so if you're truly a Christian and your object of faith is Jesus Christ, you are saved and secure in Christ.
Now, if your object is something else, then you don't have that assurity. And so that's when you need to really get off of the road of, of self-righteousness or self-control and really turn towards the Lord and move to the camp of, I know I am a believer. I am sure of that. So that your testimony could be the same of, of Paul's and the same of many other believers, which is this, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day. That last day when we stand before God, Paul says, I know, I am convinced, and I hope that you as a Christian are convinced as well, that one day, as long as your object of faith is correct, that one day you will stand before God, and you will not give an account for your sin but instead you will be rewarded uh, there at that, that uh, judgment seat of Christ. And so we have a lot to look forward to. And next week we're going to be covering another aspect of uh, our assurance. And so I encourage you to come back again uh, next week. Uh, but as we close today, if you're here today and you just don't know, I just plead with you, okay? Just like I did that young man, we can make lots of decisions in life. But the most important decision we can make is putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so all we need to do is realize that we are a sinner. All we need to do is believe that Jesus Christ did, in fact, die for our sins. And he was buried and then he rose again. And then he did that for you. And there's an exchange that happens. Your sin is placed upon him and his righteousness is placed upon you. And so God as he sees you, does not see you in sin. He sees you in Christ's righteousness. And so I'd plead with you to make that decision if you have not made that decision yet. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we think about this assurance, and, and Paul had assurance, and, and many believers have assurance. If, if, if we were to ask each other, uh, do you know that, that you would be with the Lord one day, many of us would say, absolutely, I know that, that one day when I pass away, I know that I'll be with the Lord. But I know, Lord, there are some here that, that maybe if, if we were to ask one another, if, if you were to die and you were to stand before God, why should he allow you into heaven? And, and, and maybe we'd be a little more confused. We wouldn't have true assurance. And so I pray, I pray that you would help us to have our object of faith in the right place. Lord, there might be someone here today that they know that they're an unbeliever. They're living a life. There's a part of them that realizes that this world is messed up. And they realize that one day there will be an account of the lives that we have lived in this world. I pray that you would help them by faith to get off of the road that leads to destruction and get onto the road that leads to life. And then lastly, Lord, there could be somebody here that thinks they're a believer. They think that their bank account is full of your riches. But if you were to take a balance of their account, you would find out that their bank is empty, that they truly have not put their faith and trust in you because they have trusted in something else whether it's this idea that everyone will go to heaven, whether it's this idea that we work for our salvation, whether it's this idea that religion will save us. 
Help us, Lord, to realize that only salvation comes from you and that you have made a way, and that way is Jesus Christ. And there is no other name under heaven in which man might be saved other than Christ. Help us to have a confidence that we know that we will have eternal life because the object of faith is correct. Help us to stay firm in our faith and our belief in you. In Jesus' name, amen.